You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 41. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City Story Universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I keep you up to date on my life and my writing, and share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. But first, I have some exciting news to share with you all in this week's Job Hunt Update. Yeah, I did a job. I got nothing but trouble since I did it, not to mention more than a few unkind words as regard to my character, so let me make this abundantly clear. I do the job. And then I get paid. This week, I received and accepted my official offer of employment. Starting on March 14th, I will begin my job as a scientist in the microbiology group at Pharmaceutical Product Development, or PPD. I'm very excited about this. Everything I've learned about this place tells me that PPD is a great company to work for, and the microgroup is excited to have me on their team. The next few weeks are going to unfold pretty fast. Mel and I are leaving Montana on March 5th, and we'll arrive at our new apartment on March 6th. We'll be spending this next week packing and cleaning, and the week after that unpacking and getting settled into our new space. Then I have two weeks of orientation and training before I get to start actually doing the work in the lab. PPD pays its employees twice a month, so my first paycheck will be coming in on April 8th. Until then, Mel and I will be depending on my last few weeks of unemployment insurance and the donations of listeners like you. If you're a Patreon patron, thank you so, so much for your support, because you are helping to make this move possible. If you're not yet a patron, please consider chipping in a few dollars to help us out during this time of transition. If you go over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester, you can enter a monthly pledge, payable by PayPal or credit card. You'll get cool bonus content, like extra stories, story artwork, previews, and author commentaries. You can even get free advanced copies of my ebooks if you donate $15 a month or more. Every little bit helps, so please go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge today. Today I'm bringing you the second half of Chapter 9 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. This story began in Episode 24, so please go back and catch up before listening to this week's spoiler-filled story recap. In our last episode, Metamore City Police Detective Catherine Catane received an unexpected visitor at her apartment. Hal Raines II, the son of the famous explorer Cynthia Raines, who vanished along with the rest of the Project Lightpath team during their exploration of the Telvari Rift. Hal and a group of his friends went to the rift themselves, and while they did not disappear, they were struck by a surge of life-aspected mana. The mana surge mutated their bodies in different ways, and in Hal's case, it gave him the psionic power of cryokinesis, the ability to absorb heat energy from his surroundings. Unfortunately, Hal picked up something else at the rift, some kind of magical symbiont, which is feeding on his own life force in order to survive. By the time Kate finds him, Hal's body has already withered dramatically, and he barely has the strength to stand. Hal insists that he and his friends need to get back to the rift, before the beings trapped inside them starve to death, and kill Hal and the others in the process. Kate gives Hal the stored mana from her own reserves, which strengthens him a little. 
Hal tells her that he plans to go to Artax, who has been secretly helping him and his friends. Kate promises to come by Artax's magic shop later to figure out their next step, and this time, she says, Artax had better talk to her. After Hal's departure, Kate meets up with her partner, the elven biomancer David Silverleaf. Kate has misgivings about working with the rift creatures, since they've already caused the death of one person, Bernard Travers, the pilot who flew Hal and his friends to the rift and back. David, though, strongly believes that they must negotiate with the creatures in good faith. Everything that has happened so far can be attributed to honest mistakes and tragic accidents, and the symbionts are probably terrified to be trapped so far from home. One thing everyone agrees on, the symbionts must not be revealed to Count Xavier Halloway, the Imperial Minister of Intelligence, and the man who started Kate and David on this investigation in the first place. If the Empire's spymaster knew about these alien creatures, and the tremendous power they carry, the consequences could be disastrous for everyone involved. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 9 Continued A long-term enchantment was a difficult and time-consuming piece of ritual magic. While Kate knew how to do it, and had done so repeatedly in the course of her wizardly education, she did not keep on hand the specialized equipment and materials necessary to do so. Normally, spells for you was her supplier of choice for magical reagents, but illusion magic wasn't Artax's area of expertise, and he disdained to carry the high-cost, low-margin equipment required for serious enchantment work. He didn't sell the raw mithril she needed to anchor the enchantments, either. For that, Kate would need to visit a specialty shop dealing in precious metals, the sort of place where jewelers got their raw material. It all added up to a lot of driving around, which meant a lot of sitting and waiting through Metamore City's endless sea of traffic. The two detectives were halfway through their shopping list when the inevitable occurred. They returned to David's skimmer to find it blocked in by a large, black luxury cruiser. Two serious-looking men in business suits stood by the skimmer, watching the lift from which Kate and David had just emerged. The license plate on the cruiser marked it as belonging to the imperial government. Uh-oh, Kate murmured, keeping her eyes straight ahead and her expression neutral. David mimicked her. Run for it? He suggested, lightly. We do, and they know we're on to them, Kate said. As she drew closer, Kate recognized one of the men from Count Halloway's appearance at the police station. She waved to him in greeting. Hiya, she said, showing him her most cheerful grin. Let me guess, your boss wants to talk with us. The man looked at her blandly. Would you please come with us, ma'am? He glanced over at David, then quickly away, not meeting the elf's eyes. And you as well, sir, if you would be so kind. Kate turned to David. Honestly, it's like they've never even heard of weekends. She looked back at the guard, unless he was an intelligence agent whom Halloway had commandeered for this job, and affected a concerned look. 
Does he even give you days off? You know, there are labor laws to protect guys like you. You should know your rights. The man's expression didn't change, but a muscle started twitching in the corner of his eye. Please get in the skimmer, ma'am. Oh, all right. Just for you. Kate winked at him, sauntered to the back door, pulled it open with a flourish, and gestured to David. After you, Detective Silverleaf. Thank you, Detective Katane. David slipped inside the cruiser in one smooth, impossibly graceful motion. Kate climbed in after him and shut the door. The skimmer's interior was upholstered in gray leather, trimmed in mahogany, and surrounded by tinted windows on all sides. A wall with a built-in intercom separated the front seats from the passenger cabin. Why do you insist on provoking them? David asked, sounding tired. Because imps and nobles are usually assholes, Kate said brightly. A long couch ran along the starboard side of the cruiser, and she flopped down on it lengthwise, making no effort to keep her boots off the upholstery. This is why you haven't been promoted to special investigations, David said. You have the political sense of an exceptionally cheerful herding dog. Humph, Kate said, sticking out her tongue at him. If that's true, then why haven't you been picked for SID? Someone has to keep an eye on you. The cruiser carried them to a private entrance near the top of Halloway Tower. The guard opened the door for them and escorted them to a surprisingly understated and functional office, where Count Halloway sat behind a desk piled high with paperwork. He wore a plain white button-down shirt with the sleeves rolled up. A pair of reading glasses perched on his nose, and the fingers of his left hand were stained with ink. If nothing else, the Count certainly looked like a busy man. He also didn't look happy. Sit down, you two, he growled, gesturing at the two empty chairs on the opposite side of his desk. He spent five more minutes reading through the paper in front of him, occasionally muttering under his breath and scrawling notes in the margins. When he was done, he set down his pen and pushed a button on his desk. An attractive young intern appeared from a side door next to Kate's chair. He took the paper from the Count's outstretched hand and disappeared again without comment. Now he said. I put you on this case three days ago, detectives. I explicitly told you that finding Mysteria is your top priority. And what do I find you doing? He ticked off points on his fingers. Talking to rats. Having tea with old wizards. Participating in a highly questionable swoop race. And now a shopping trip. He spread his hands. What does any of this have to do with finding my daughter? Kate looked over at David, silently pleading for him to bail them out of this. He made a noble effort. Your lordship, I realize our methods might seem unconventional, but... Yes, thank you, Master Elf, Count Halloway said, cutting him off. But since Captain Montgomery has informed me that Miss Katane here is the primary investigator on this case, I think I would like to hear her speak for herself. Kate swallowed. She took a deep breath, composed her thoughts, and spoke. We found a connection between Lady Halloway's disappearance and the death of Bernard Travers, a former shuttle pilot for Kepler Pharmaceutical. Captain Montgomery probably told you about our theory— that your daughter went on a joyride in the Telvari Rift Zone with Ezekiel Kapler and some of his friends. The Count nodded. Go on. Detective Silverleaf did an invocation at the site of Travers's death in order to find a lead on what happened to him, 
Kate said. That's what led us to Artax. It turned out he was conducting an independent investigation into Travers's death. Count Halloway scribbled something on a pad of paper. And what did he find? He couldn't tell us much that we didn't already know, Kate said, choosing her words carefully. He was keeping things quiet because he thought whatever killed Travers was still dangerous, and he didn't want it falling into the wrong hands. He promised to help look for Lady Halloway through his own channels, but he hasn't gotten back to us with any leads yet. I see. Halloway made another note. What about the swoop race? It's where I meet with my informants, Kate said. If anybody on Streetside had heard anything about your daughter, I would have caught wind of it there. Count Halloway didn't look up from the notepad. And did you? No, my lord. If anyone's seen her, they aren't talking. Hmm. The Count wrote a few more lines. Why the sudden shopping trip, Miss Katane? She shrugged. I can't do my job without magic, my lord. And I can't do magic without supplies. We're stuck waiting anyway, until we get the email records we requested, or one of our prospective witnesses gets in touch with us. And it's the weekend, so the people we're waiting on won't be back in the office until Monday. I needed to make the supply run, and this was the best time to do it. I see. The Count looked up at her, fixing her to the seat with that dark, piercing gaze. And why, Miss Katane, have you not mentioned the encrypted letter that you received from my daughter? The bottom fell out of Kate's stomach. She stared at the Count. Her mouth opened, but no sound came out. The Count opened a drawer and pulled out a printout of a photo, which showed the folded sheet of paper bearing Kate's name. He threw it on the desk between them like an accusation. I know my daughter's handwriting, detective, Count Holloway said. His tone was low and dangerous. And the plant that was delivered with this obviously came from House Kapler. What did she say to you? Kate stared at the paper, thinking fast. My lord, are you saying you had someone break into my apartment? You are an agent of the Ministry of Intelligence, Miss Katane, Halloway snarled. You do not have a private life. I do not need a search warrant to inspect your residence, and you do not get to choose which pieces of information you will and will not share about your investigation. Kate lowered her eyes and said nothing, which seemed to be a much smarter choice than any of the things she wanted to say. What? Count Halloway said again. Did my daughter say to you? Kate looked up at him. She wants to come home, she said quietly. She's realized that she made a mistake, and she's worried she can't fix it. She's hiding because... because she's ashamed. Halloway frowned. Ashamed? I dare say that's a new emotion for her. Ashamed of what? Her appearance, my lord. Kate was walking a dangerous line here, and she knew it. She had to give Halloway enough of the truth to appease him without giving away the most important secrets about what had happened to Misty and the others. When they went to the rift, there was an accident, and they were exposed to life-aspected mana. It... well, it mutated her, my lord. Made her look... inhuman. She spoke the word tentatively, knowing how it would sound to a bigot like Halloway. It hasn't changed who she is, but she's afraid that if anyone sees her like this, 
and could be bad for your house. The Count looked at her closely for a long moment, as if he could see through her. Then he sank slowly back into his chair, stroking his chin thoughtfully. She was concerned about our house? Our reputation? Yes, my lord. She said that she knows she said and done some stupid things before, but she knew that this would be over the line. She asked me to make a disguise charm for her, so she can hide her shame from the rest of the world. I see. This time the Count sounded much more thoughtful when he said it. Do you know where she is, Detective? Not at the moment, Kate said, which was true, as far as it went. She said she would send me the materials I needed to complete her disguise charm, and that she'd come forward once I had it ready. Count Halloway nodded, half to himself. And that's what you were shopping for today. Yes, my lord. Sorry I didn't mention it earlier, but she's deeply embarrassed about what happened. She doesn't want you to see her in her present state. Understandable, I suppose, Halloway mused. When will you have this charm ready for her, detective? Tomorrow evening, if all goes well, Kate said. If I run into any complications with the enchantment, I'll let you know. The Count gave her another long, measuring look, then nodded once. Very well. I shan't keep you from your work any longer, then. He made a dismissive gesture, giving them leave to go. Kate was nearly out the door when Halloway called to her. Oh, Detective Katane. She stopped and turned back. Yes, my lord? The Count's eyes were on the notepad, where he was tapping his pen beside something he'd written earlier. This business with the pilot. You said that the wizard Artax feared whatever killed him might fall into the wrong hands. Yes, my lord. Count Halloway glanced up at her. Is there any chance that my daughter might be in danger from the same force? Kate swallowed. Without knowing what killed him, it's hard to say, sir. The Count gave her a cold, shark-like smile. Make an educated guess, then. And a guess? Kate shrugged. If Artax thinks it could be a threat to the city, I'd have to say that probably includes your daughter. <laughs> Indeed. The Count turned back to his paperwork. Thank you, Detective. You may go. Kate turned and practically fled the room, praying that the Count wouldn't call her back with any more questions. Kate and David didn't speak again until Halloway's men had dropped them off at David's skimmer. That, David said, once they were inside with the doors locked, was far too close for comfort. Tell me about it, Kate groaned. I think I may need to take you up on that political training you're always talking about. Wonders never cease, David said. Kate shot him a glare. Still, it could have been a lot worse. At least now he'll back off enough for us to get this charm done. And we don't have to worry about him finding out later that Misty's wearing a disguise. Yes, I like the way you played that, using his pride and prejudice against him, painting Mysteria as the penitent daughter who has seen the error of her ways. Thanks. Misty gave me the script. I just ran with it. Now let's just hope it takes enough of the pressure off that we can figure out how to deal with her unwanted passenger. Assuming it is unwanted, David said. She never even mentioned the symbiont, much less any desire to get rid of it. You didn't see what Hal's was doing to him, and he seemed pretty sure the others would be affected the same way. 
Until I see some evidence to the contrary, I'm going to assume that having one of these things inside you is a bad thing, even if it does carry some kind of power with it. I suspect we'll find out soon. David pulled the skimmer out of the garage and back into traffic. Where to next? It was late afternoon by the time that they completed their errands. They grabbed sandwiches from a drive-thru for dinner, then headed back through Kate's neighborhood to the Spells for You magic shop. They arrived to find the shop closed, and a dozen men in suits surrounding the entrance. They were carrying pistols and shoulder rigs. Kate could tell from the bulges in their jackets, and the way they held their arms away from their sides when they walked. Two of them crouched at the entrance, where they were examining the lock and the wards on the door. A line of yellow police tape surrounded the scene. What the hell? Kate murmured. David, do you have your scanner turned off? We should have heard about this. It's still on. Look there. David pointed at the group of unmarked skimmers parked in front of the shop. All of them had imperial government plates. Shit, Kate snarled. Pull over. She jumped out of the skimmer before it had stopped moving, and stalked over to the cluster of men, stepping over the police tape on the way. Who's in charge here? A theriomorph came out from the group of men with a grim expression. He had the features of some kind of jungle cat, an ocelot, maybe, and he held up one clawed hand toward her. That's far enough, ma'am. She'd left her Intel ID at home, but she pulled out her police badge and showed it to the man. Lieutenant Katane, Magic Affairs, she said sharply. What are you doing in my precinct? The man bowed slightly, but made no move to get out of her way. Beg pardon, Lieutenant. I have orders to detain the wizard Artax for questioning on a matter of Imperial security. Kate felt herself go very still. On whose authority? The Imperial Minister of Intelligence, the man said. Count Xavier Halloway. And that's the end of Chapter 9. How much does Halloway already know? Where has Artax disappeared to? And what will Hal and his friends do, now that the wizard isn't around to help them? The mystery continues in Chapter 10. We'll be taking a few weeks off from Things Unseen, while Mel and I deal with the move and get settled into our apartment. For episode 42, I'm bringing you a standalone short story, Last Sunset at the Golden Gate. In episode 43, we'll have another interview, as I talk with Abigail Hilton about advertising and promoting your writing. Things Unseen will return in episode 44. Now, here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 5,853 words this week over the course of nine hours, for an average writing speed of 650 words per hour. I wrote on six out of seven days this week. We started packing on Wednesday, so I took the day off from writing in order to get more boxes filled. This week I put The Lost and the Least on hold, so I could start working on my audio drama for Balticon 50. For those of you who are newcomers to Metamore City, whenever I attend Balticon I write an audio drama, 
and perform it with a bunch of my friends and fellow podcasters. This year's drama is another private eye mystery, entitled Rafak Aliri and the Ghostly Bride. I'm super excited to be coming back to Balticon this year, and I can't wait to share this story with you all. And now, the feedback. Hey, Chris. This is Nobilis Reed, talking to you from the lonely commute from Ashburn to Manassas. Now that in the latest episode my theory has been pretty solidly disproven, I wanted to share it with you just as an, ask, just as a, as an insight into listener thought processes and what I was thinking. So anyways, my thought, without really ever doing any research into timing and such like, was that the visit to the Rift, the first visit, Project Light Path, had been the original inciting event for the creation of the Psy Collective, and that we were going to get some insight into the mysterious inner circles of the Psy Collective. You know, people go there and come back with powers. It turned out, of course, much more creepy and interesting than that, but that was what my first thought was during the first few chapters when we knew next to nothing about what was going on. Anyways, just thought you like, might like to hear that. Take care, and uh, keep it on the bright side. Thanks for calling in, Nobilis. At the time of making the cut, the Psy Collective had been around for about 100 years, which means that it was about 80 years old at the time of Project Lightpath. The story of the Lightpath team and their tragic disappearance was inspired by the Apollo Project in our own timeline. I envisioned a quest of scientific exploration and adventure that would capture people's imaginations around the world, in the same way the race to the moon captivated my parents' generation. Just as the first team of Apollo astronauts was killed in a tragic accident, I figured that the exploration of a new mana nexus would also be filled with danger. Then I thought about how Lightpath's disappearance would affect the children they left behind, and how the uncertainty of what had happened to them might be even more painful than just knowing how they had died. That was the seed that eventually grew into things unseen. It could definitely be cool to go back at some point and write about the origins of the Psy Collective, it's clear that the Collective's paranoia and isolationism must have come from somewhere, and I would bet that the experiences of their founders played a major role in that. Could there be a Magneto-type character at the heart of the Psy Collective, someone who was himself a victim of terrible persecution, and vowed that other Psy's would never suffer the same fate? It certainly seems plausible. Thanks again for the call. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out.
The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.